Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Canberra Business Podcast. I've got the wonderful pleasure of welcoming Michelle Melbourne to the podcast. Michelle, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jonathan. Please call me Shelley. I'll call you Shelley. I want to start with something very contentious. Despite all the success of this wonderful business that you and Phil have created in Teladox, there's one great tragedy in that it may have deprived the world of a possible concert trumpet player. <laughs> So was there a moment when you just went, do I build a globally successful technology business or pursue my dream? Tell us about that. Oh, you are very funny. That's a great way to to introduce me. Um, So one thing about me is that I have a great love for my older brother, Brett Melbourne. He's two and a half years older than me. And he got into the school band and I was too young to join. And and as soon as I got into fourth grade, there I was at the Garam Primary School uh, tryouts for the school band yep. and I just wanted to be like my older brother and I, to that day I still want to be like my older brother. What, what, drew, <laughs> what, what drew you to the trumpet? Did they say we've got everything except the trumpet player? What drew you to that? Yeah well that's a really good question. Um, I knew I didn't want to flute, play the flute because okay. I think that's a bit predictable possibly. Mm. Um, it can be hard on a family too in the practice phase. The flute? Yeah. <laughs> you don't think the trumpet is? Okay. I was going to say, Karen, my wife, her brother played the trumpet too. And when I saw that you did, I was really interested. Oh, uh, nice. She, well, she tells the story of um, everybody be, would be familiar with that famous Christmas song, Little Drummer Boy. Yeah. You know, pum, Beautiful. Pum, pum. And so Ben was learning the trumpet and he played the proper pum pum part kind of a lot kind of like right. for hours at a time do you still yeah. play music well i still have my trumpet okay. uh that i had when i was a teenager yep. so it's a Bauscher german trumpet yeah. still in my cupboard uh, about two years ago i had it serviced well, yeah. so i'm i'm kind of ready so you haven't um, played for a while uh, well, once a trumpeter, always a trumpeter, okay. and particularly once a trumpeter when you had braces. Yeah. You know, you can do anything, seriously. You can take on the world if you can play the, the trumpet with braces. And, and um, later on in high school, um, I went to the lovely St. Clair's College, yeah. and um, somehow a box of chocolates would end up in my locker, my locked locker, okay. on about the 19th or 20th of April. Okay. And, uh, of course, that was just a few days before Anzac Day. Right. And that was the way the deputy principal saying to me, Shelley, you're up on stage playing the last post at assembly. Really? And did you do that? Character building. Did yes. you do it? Yes, yes. Did, did you get nervous? Always. Really? Always. Yeah. Pro- you, probably how? in a way that you, I probably couldn't say on radio. On <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're packing it. How did you deal Character with... Character building. How did you deal with nerves back then? Uh, lots of practice. Did you? Lots of practice. Yeah. yeah. The, the last post is an open valve trumpet so yeah. it can be played on a bugle but i didn't have a bugle so you play it on your trumpet and it is when you've got i don't know how many girls were there probably 1200 girls who you know some of them are your mates <laughs> looking staring. at you going oh my god taking the last post don't get this wrong and it's a deeply emotive it's a beautiful piece, piece. of music yeah. and it is a, a, a trumpeter's uh, business card if you like yeah. so you're a real trumpeter if you can play that you want to get that right yeah i can still play it you can still there's yep comes out at dinner parties <laughs> At what point? Not at the start, probably later in the evening. <laughs> there's, um, there's so much I want to ask you, and I'm going to jump around a little bit, but just on that, you know, standing up in front of your peers as an adolescent playing a trumpet and facing a, a, a challenging situation, there's something that uh, you talk about in the notes that I've had a look at and other things where you talk about passion, confidence, knowledge, and courage. In the business journey you've had, where's courage had to show up for you so far on this journey? Yeah, I think courage, again, it's it's a signature of mine. I, I think that the kind of experiences that we've had in our business have required a lot of courage to keep going. We've 
always competed against some of the biggest companies in the world yeah. in our business. And it can be brutal, absolutely brutal. You know, you pop your head up and you're successful. kind of gets advertised and, and it gets listed that this small company from Canberra, Australia has won a, an international software yeah. contract. Yeah. And you're a target. Mm. Yeah, like, like people want to take you out. They, they seriously pop your head up and you've got to be careful what, what happens next. So, so it, what it's is, not all easy. What is courage to you? Like Churchill made the point that he, he said that the courageous person isn't braver than the person next to them. They're just braver 30 seconds longer. Yeah. And he also said that it's, courage is the most crucial of virtues because it guarantees all the others. Without courage, it's hard to have the other virtues of prudence and you know wisdom, um, temperance, that sort of stuff. Yeah. What is courage for you? What is that? For me, I think courage goes hand in hand with passion and persistence. Yeah. So I often talk about being very deliberate, consistent and persistent. Yeah. And that means you need to know, you need to know what you're doing really really well and you need to be extremely confident that you can be the world's best and you can beat the world's best and then you just need courage to keep showing up where does that confidence come from i'm jumping because i'm going <laughs> probably to, we're, probably we're, my trumpet playing days that's right we're, 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 <laughs> yeah it's, it's interesting how many of this, the conversations we've had that it's these rich childhood experiences yeah, that shape so much true. Yeah. let's talk a little bit about that like you you know you're a psychologist you're a scientist but i want to pick up on a couple of key things this all starts in your brother's bedroom with the Star Wars wallpaper, but even before that, there's a conversation well, there's a, with your father where he's encouraged you to get into computer science and yeah. stuff, and you have an interest in science. I want to talk about that. You know, there's, there's a bigger push these days to bring young women into STEM, yeah. um, especially in the US and, uh, and here now. What was your interest? Was it were you a science family? What attracted yeah. you to it? Yeah, well, my dad was a surveyor. Okay. Um, so he came to Canberra in the late 50s as a cadet yeah. surveyor. And so he, he was very, so that's very technical vocation and uh, very deeply s- steeped in mathematics and calculations and computations. And so in the late uh, 50s here in Canberra, there was, it was the early days of, um, you know, large computing power yeah. that was resident here at the university. And my dad booked time to use really? that computer. As a surveyor? Well, so, so they're processing mapping data. Wow. Yeah. And so I used to draw on the back of his um, punch cards that were the, if you like, yeah. the, the, you know, the programming yeah. um, interface for early computing. How so, old were you then? Oh, well, I wasn't born then, but um, I suppose it, tiny. I would have been, you know, as old as, old as I was to hold a pencil. Wow. So that would have been the early 70s. And, and, and so Dad he, uh, just grew up in a, a world of, of um, somebody who loved the outdoors. So surveyors are always outside. Yeah. They know the tides. They know the sunrise and the sunset. And, and it was, a, it was a, a thing in our family that Dad would always have a pop quiz for my brother and I. Um, he'd go, right, kids, where's north? Really? And, we'd, and no matter where we were... He taught us that we would always instantly be able to tell him where North was. So you just took out your iPhone, opened the app, and, and there, no, not quite. Yeah, yeah. So he taught us all these great things, and um, he was a tinkerer, yeah. and he, he had an old car that was always in 100 pieces in the front yeah. driveway, and I'd always just sit there, cross-legged on the driveway with him, and say, "What's that? Really? What's that do? What's that, Dad?" And he'd go, "Hold this. Be quiet. Just watch." So were you guys close? 
Very. Yeah. Yeah, very close. And I, look, I used to, he, I remember he taught me how to take a distributor to bits and put it back together again. A distributor cap, I mean, cars don't have them anymore. But so there was always, you know, Meccano was my favourite thing. And so it was always intense curiosity about yeah, everything. Yeah, that's what I want to ask you about. Um, Nature and science, very, yeah. very features rich. Well, you talked about it in one of your videos and I'm going to, with your permission, I'm going to, I'll put this video with the, with the show because it's really interesting. You talk about a fascination with the world, and yes. that really comes through just looking at you and, and hearing from you. Did that was that in the air growing up with a man like that? That was just where's the tides? Where's the sun? Take this apart. Did you grow up with that kind of fascination with just just reality? Yeah, yeah. It was it was um, you know they they always say nature versus nurture. I yeah. I can't tell you exactly where it came from, but my dad definitely stirred that stirred that pot. It was just the way he was. He's a very practical man who loved the outdoors. Um, and I suppose he was drawn to surveying for that purpose, or well, because of that. Yeah. And my mum was a, a complete nurturer. Mm. Uh, she was a school teacher and very, very nurturing, caring, yeah. caring woman. So between the two of them, you know, we had great, great childhood growing up in Canberra. Well, this has kind of comes through a lot because you talk about. Um we're going to get to this later. Your, your genuine care for your people, and Tim Kirk from Clonakilla was was big on that, and, mm. it's, and I think you are too. So it's mm. listening to you just initially. It's like you married these kind of two realities of your parents, almost the interest, the fascination, the, uh, with this genuine care for people. Mm. Um, what do you think, looking back, what what characteristics of both of them do you think you carry most these days of your parents? Well, my dad liked to understand how things worked. Mm. So that really drives my intense curiosity about everything, whether it's alive or, yeah. you know, animate or inanimate. Yeah. It's probably the, the way to say it. So yeah. I'm intensely curious about people yeah. and what makes them tick. And we're all put together differently. Yeah. And um, I have a deep love and fascination for technology yeah. and belief in how technology can be used for the greater good. Let's it's talk about that because I was reading this before and I thought, not everybody has that. People, we all use technology, but... To be genuinely passionate about its implications for human life, hmm. for the world, the world that we live, where did that start for you? This genuine passion for the interplay of human problems and challenges we face, and how technology—where was that? Where did that come from? Well, I think, uh, look, we sell our our software technology to very large government organisations and banks and insurance companies, some of the biggest brands around the world. Yep. Right, and you kind of think, oh, that's all great. We're we're helping governments be better at governing and and citizen interaction, and we're helping banks. Well, you know, in in this particular month, and yeah. um, you don't, know, we're, don't we're helping all. banks, right, yeah. to be more efficient and sure. to transparent, you know, be, be be more transparent, yeah. and to help you know avoid thing you know anti money laundering sure. and these kind of things. So big wicked problems where yeah. where our technology is helping banks to to, to do their work better, right? Yeah. In a digital context. But where's the purpose in yeah. that? Yeah, it's all very corporate and commercial and um, um, kind of important, but, but where's the heart? There's yeah. the word I'm looking for. Where's the heart? So we're working on, um, we have some, uh, you know, range of projects going on where we are actively looking for the heart yeah. and putting a call out out there to people to say, well, can our technology platform be a match for, for your pursuit of heart? Or, yeah. or goodness in the world, and and we will show up with our technology to help enable that. What's your gut feeling on what some of those possibities might be? Like, what, where, where do you think the well? The I'm human actively yeah, I'm actively looking for a project um, at the moment and talking to a range of people. You know, I need to kind of describe what our software does. So we're it's a digital platform yeah. that helps automate 
what would be otherwise cumbersome or frustrating yeah. paper-based processes, yeah. right, that the world imposes on us. Yeah. So whether it's um, applying for your child to go to school yeah. or applying for a passport, mm-hmm. applying for a mortgage, filling the paperwork to go to hospital, these are, these are the kind of things I'm talking about. Yeah. But if you imagine if you're a, a mother of a, a newborn baby in a third world country, mm-hmm. you have to register your baby's birth. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the law, in inverted commas. But in a third world nation um, where poverty and, and, you know, there's so many th- factors that are going on in, in that mother's life mm. that it's just not a case of getting in the car and going down to the yeah. government office yeah. to register your birth of your baby. And that would have huge implications later for things like well, pro- often, property ownership? Yes, it often, sort of yeah. 99% of the time it just doesn't get done. So that child is person non grata yeah. in the world, right? They, they don't can't, have an identity as such. They can't go to school, they they can't get treatment, mm. etc. So, so it's a real problem. And quite often, the the local government office is a three day walk from from where that mother may live. Yeah. So if you think about it, you seriously think about it that that child has to be registered, let's say, within the first ninety days mm. of that child's birth. The mother probably didn't have the child in a hospital, sure. and that child probably you know didn't get a four point five rating on the healthiness of mm. you know the, a, a newborn baby and so imagine that mother either having to leave that child to go and register the birth or to take that child with them on the road mm. probably a three-day walk the the chance of of them even making it is not great yeah so um there's all kinds of dreadful things that happen so um, making it easy to to register the birth of a baby in an impoverished nation is a project I'm looking for so here's very the, actively. here's the really obvious question, right, which is businesses exist to solve problems, businesses exist to drive shareholder value. Why not focus on the dollar? Why not do what 95% of businesses are doing justifiably and build a bigger and bigger thing, which you're doing, which is happening organically, mm. but why do you care about this? Well, it's part of who we are. It's part of our culture of our organisation. We, I like to say I've collected a bunch of good people yeah. along the way. You know, you can do that when you're a leader in, in a company. You can deliberately choose certain types of people that you want in your culture. Mm. And uh, we have a very caring, human-based uh, tribe, I like to call Let's it. Let's talk about that for a second because I want to talk to you about blue-footed boobies. <laughs> I want to talk about outliers. And people, outliers. People, watch Love the, them. Watch the video here. Uh, hopefully, if Michelle's happy, I'll put this video in where she yes. gives a, a lovely speech in Melbourne um, <laughs> when she talks about blue-footed boobies, which are this, you know, they've evolved in a particular way with blue feet and they're <laughs> unusual and striking. And she says in this video, you know, look, if they, if they came in for an interview, I'd find them interesting. So let's talk about, you talk about, and, you're, and when you give this talk, you're, um, you give some beautiful lines about smooth waters, not making good, you know, making, not making good sailors, and you're teaching the young women in that room about being different, about humility. What do you look for in your people? Yeah. Um, <laughs> how do you know it when you find it? What do you look for? Yeah, so Jonathan's referring to um, a presentation I gave to a group of up-and-coming uh, girls in STEM. Yep. So it was at Sydney University yep. um, and that the Galaxy Convention right, yeah. um, gathered a whole bunch of y- young women in years 10, 11 and 12 who are interested in studying science at, mm. at further uh, when they leave school. It was a really interesting day, a really interesting presentation mm. and, and you could feel the room full of intensely curious young people. 
and I, I wanted to talk to them about something different. There was a lot of um, people on the agenda who'd, who'd achieved success and all that kind of stuff. And I think that it's not about the success really that you want to talk about because there's been, there's a long way, the journey of success is, is not necessarily easy and happy, right? No. It, there's a lot of mm. um, things that you have to go through. But y- you really want to enjoy it. You really want to do it with people who, who understand yeah. the mission and who subscribe to that vision. Mm. And, and most leaders aren't actually able to, to put up a vision on, you know, on, a, on a projector and say, this is where we're going. Yeah. It's about actually defining something that can be defined yeah. um, and then trying to get there. So I always say that our team could fly to the moon and back. Our, yeah. our team could figure out, and I guarantee you, if we had that as our mission, that we would fly to the moon and back. You know, my favourite my favorite movie is Matt Damon and Mars. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, Great movie yeah, if you yeah, guys yeah, haven't yeah, seen it. Like, yeah, it's yeah. a scientist, right? Yeah, look, yeah. At, look at what he had to overcome right. and look at what he had to do. What are you looking for? when, like, you, Well, yeah. let's, let's go back to what you just said. You said, well, a lot of leaders actually can, can struggle to put that vision up. Yeah. yeah. You guys, have, you've obviously been able to do it. With it's subscribing to the journey. That's what it is. Yeah. Because yeah. the vision changes. Yeah. If you think about the industry that we're in, that I need to change the vision every six months yeah. because there's a new version of something out yeah. that, you know, our industry is very disruptive. Sure. And if you don't disrupt yourself every six months and keep up with the market, yeah. you, you're, out, you're out of business. So that came out up a few times and I had that in my notes here. You talk about reinvention. Yeah. That you constantly have to learn what's new. Yes. How do yeah. you, what happens? Do you, how do you, how does that really play out for you? You just have your eyes wide open all the yep. time. You're, you're listening, you're yep. attentive to the space. Yep. And then what happens next? You just well, my favourite saying to the world is you've got to look up and look out. Okay. And it's kind of, it's a bit Darwin and Darwinism. Yeah, yeah. Darwin 101, right? Yeah. If, you, if you're in the swamp and you're down there living in the swamp yeah. and you don't see an opportunity yeah. outside the swamp, you might not be ready for it. <laughs> so certainly in our business, we've been in the software technology game for 26 years yeah. now. And I started, my first career was with a software startup company in 1990. This is City... City Data. City Data in yeah, Sydney. Yeah, in yeah. Sydney. Now, I love this Great part because, because this is your sliding doors moment where yep. you go, and I love this because you're like, uh, you have this line, I've got it here, where you say, you know, be confident, control the environment, be on top of the technical content in the training manual, just one page ahead of the class you were teaching. <laughs> and this comes through as a theme for you because you're like, it seems that so often in your business journey, both for you and Phil, uh, there's been this punching above your weight for sure, but there's also been this scrambling kind of yeah. just yeah. being far enough ahead. Tell, yep. tell us about yep. that. Yeah, well, just in time is another one of my famous okay. <laughs> proverbs that I say. Right. It's yeah. like, you know, you can overthink things. Yeah. And, and if you overthink and you overcalculate and you over-strategize, you can kind of get stuck yeah. in what that plan was. Yeah. So we've always had to be very adaptable. Um, I use a lot of Darwinisms yeah. in my world. As a scientist. Yeah, yep, yeah. yep, yep. You've got to look up and look out. And, and, and your opportunity will come. Yeah. Jim Collins, who's one of my favorite leadership yeah. uh, um, experts, yep. tells this great story of a friend of his who's a world-class rock climber. Yeah. And there's a climb in Boulder, Colorado, that is impossible. It's an impossible climb. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, you know, it's a grade, you know, impossible. It's probably El Capitan, I think. Well, yeah. it's, um, it's in, no, that's in Yellowstone, it's right? But it's, but it's, it, it, the parable kind of relates to something like that, is yeah. it's a, the nirvana for okay. climbers, right? Yeah. And it's never been done. There was this 
famous climber. I don't know his name now, and I'm borrowing Jim Collins' yeah, story, yeah. right? I'll, I'll keep it brief. But <laughs> essentially, he climbed that a, a thousand times yeah. and, and couldn't get the, you know, the, the last, last bit. 20 yeah. grab holds or whatever, the, the elusive. Mm. And he, he persisted and he persisted. He kept adjusting. He kept adapting his style. He kept building his fitness. Uh, he, he got better equipment. He just kept trying. It was just impossible impossible everybody else had given up he never gave up Mm. he just kept he showed up kept trying showed up kept trying and one day i don't know maybe the season changed and there was a little bit of ice on the rock face Mm. and that ice had never lasted that long in the day before so let's call it early morning ice Mm. that stayed there a bit longer so the morning was cloudy there was a stronger breeze than normal from the west Mm. and those three conditions helped this very accomplished climber to just slide his rope across an extra couple of inches that got him to that grab hold that nobody had ever been able to get before because it was literally just out of reach physically out of reach but a combination of timing environment environment persistence luck and he got it got the luck so if he wasn't there determined, persistent, believing in himself, never giving up, it would never have happened. So I, I take a lot of heart from that parable. So it's a positioning and thing? Like you do the, you belief, be as prepared as you can. Just keep, just keep trying, keep showing up. For us as a small company, pun- punching above our weight, competing with some of the biggest technology companies in the world, yeah. it, it, we could have easily given up, easily given up many, many times. Yeah. And we, we've won, we've been awarded the preferred tenderer status in a whole bunch of contracts that we've won where our technology has prevailed. Um, you, you get the, the phone call saying, yep, we're, we're going to go with your technology, it's the best. But then two weeks later you get a phone call from them saying, oh, look, we're really sorry. We're really sorry. We, we actually can't contract with you. You're not an American company. Mm. You're a small company um, and our risk team just wow. gave it the red light yeah yeah right so you know stab me in the heart it's like man so you know what have you got to do so you've got to look up and look out and you've got to change you've got to adapt so always having that confidence that your product is world-class and excellent that your people are world-class and excellent and then you've got to overcome those kind of barriers and and in that case for us we we just needed to partner well yeah, yeah we needed a, a, a go-to-market partner that was the big that big organisation that our, the, the big clients they in America were happy, face of it and we're very happy yeah. to partner with. So we've done that. So, so that's a really good example of adaptation. Uh, well, so let me ask you, what? How, I'm, I'm thinking of the, all the business people listening who are in the trenches. What keeps you going? At what point does another person go, oh, this is too hard? <laughs> how do you explain that to yourself? Why okay. is, is Phil there pushing you forward? Are you pushing each other forward? What's happening? That yeah. I want to know the psychology. I want to know how you keep. Because I get it. I don't know. Yeah. Well, Phil and I are a great team. We are yin and yang. Yeah. So salted caramel. Yeah, salted caramel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I care deeply about the the people and the and the team and the journey yeah. and that resilience and that complementary kind of skills that we have in the team and phil's a visionary so he can see around corners when it comes to technology look if i could give you a dollar for every idea that he's had in the past that you know you write it down and then five years later someone launches that right Right, he's he's always five years ahead 
Um, and that's challenging, actually, for, for, for an organisation to actually monetize innovation. Yeah. It, it's technically impossible for you to make money out of true innovation. Because it's cannibalised so fast? No, or it's no, no, no. So if you think about from a scientific perspective, mm. in, innovation is pure research. Okay. Yeah, so, so it's, it's like how are we going to fly to the moon and back? Yeah. It's not immediately commercialisable. Sure. You can't immediately derive... Yeah. A, a, you can't make a business out of sure. innovation because, and and I'm not a defeatist, and I yeah, I'm yeah. a big you know innovation um, supporter. Don't get me wrong. What I'm trying to say is it it's the the current world thrives on business as usual. Okay. Right. We yep. we use our in the swamp yep. analogy. We're all in the swamp. We're we're doing what we do, living in the swamp. Yep. And and true innovation is you know that creature in the swamp flying to the moon. Sure. It's just kind of there's a a big gap yeah. between what it's doing now and what innovation means. So for, for all organisations to be agile and living on the edge of what's new and what's next, there needs to be a very small gap between BAU and innovation. Mm, okay. And most organisations have a very big gap. So we have always had a very small gap between running our business to be profitable but also to be attractive to the market yeah. today. And the market wants something that they understand. They don't want cowboys. They actually don't want shiny new things. They want, stuff that, they want stuff that works. They want stuff that's proven. So what we've figured out how to do is to push that to its very, very to edge of its boundary. Yeah. And we find the early adopters. Yeah. We find the people that really genuinely get have it. to get out of that swamp. Yeah. Swamp, they know the swamp's draining and they know that the dinosaurs are coming, right? And, but most of the world doesn't work that way. I'd say 85% of the world is very busy with BAU. So there's obviously huge implications here with things like blockchain coming down the line. Yeah. But I wanted to ask yep. you, is there a sense in what you're saying? It's really interesting, but there's a sense in what you're saying of, you know, most people want business as usual. We found in some of what we've done that it's educating the market. It's mm. big, like you have to say to people, look, there's this thing, yes. there's this thing, and it's really yes. good. And they're going, we don't need that thing. We have this thing. It's always... Yes. So, yeah. I mean, is that a sales and marketing question? How do you, edu- how do you educate an emerging yeah. or non-existent market? Yeah. Like, how do you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tough. Yeah. I mean, you look at Apple. It's a, it's a classic, you know, poster child for, for innovation and yeah. really pushing the envelope. Yeah. So, you know, very proud of... of of what they've done for the world, yeah. you know, love it or hate it, they really pushed the envelope and they, they literally shoved this innovation down our throat. How do you describe that? What do you think is the essence of what they did? Uh, confidence. Yeah. Uh, design excellence. Tr- tr- truly breaking the status quo. Uh, but, but against all odds, right? It's not, that's not normal. Yeah, well, it's so, interesting. I mean, you probably have you read Isaacson's jobs biography? Because he, yeah, the big one is like he comes across as, as, possibly not the nicest human in the world like <laughs> you know so i'm glad we've got people like you and phil who are doing this but still you know yeah. being very human but heart, he's, yeah. yeah but he's uh yeah i read that and i just kind of thought you're right but there's also um yeah, malcolm gladwell stuff about outliers too sometimes it's just the moment isn't it? it's just a moment mm. in history when there's a confluence of factors mm-hmm. but that comes back to what you're saying is that sure you might not be able to control the ice on the rock or the weather, but you can control of your position there. And your persistence and yeah. determination. So to be there to get the luck, right? And so for us, that, that example I gave you of, of kind of winning a tender and then being told, well, we actually can't contract with you, you know, it's so that was just shattering, right? But what do you learn from that? You pick yourself up and you adapt 
you and you come back next time so in, let, in a different let, way, let different that. time. Are you the, let's talk resilience from a business leader perspective. For all those people who are struggling listening to this, when you get, you know, because this is a big psychological dissonance here. You get told that you've won something you've been working really hard on, so you're neurochemically and, mm. you know, uh, everything moves into this celebratory mode and then you find out that you don't. Are you a five bottles of Chardonnay person, kick the cat? <laughs> do you cry no. on with Phil? Do you, <laughs> no. how, what do you play, you know, what do you play hockey? You do all this yes. stuff, but what do you do? What, how do you deal with disappointment? Wow. Um, well, I like to think I'm pretty resilient. And I think that the way to absorb that is is having this great team of people around you. It's like yeah. an airbag that we, you know, we share the highs and, we, and then we share the lows together. And I think that's what makes it matter, right? Mm. It, it, like, you know, if it, if it wasn't a struggle, it wouldn't matter. Yeah. So one of my favourite sayings is, and and you know, maybe one day I'll write a book and, one, and it might be called, It's the Struggle That Matters. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. And that's what keeps you going, the contest. Are you competitive? Very. Are you? Extremely. Okay. Yeah, I don't like to lose. Always, always have been that way? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yep. Very, very particularly. So did, just quickly, how did that happen? Because you've got an older <laughs> brother who you adore. Yes. Because I grew up with four boys, so I get, and I understand why I might be competitive. Where did, where did you become competitive? <laughs> no, I can't. Don't know. It, it's, you need, probably need to give me a bit of time to yeah, think about that. Yeah, think about it. It's just um, who you are. It's who I am. Yeah. I, I'd like to think that, you know, it's not an aggressive yeah. uh, competitiveness, but yeah. um, I'm a, it it's probably goes with my perfectionism. Sure. So I'm very, I'm very f- obsessed with detail. I like detail. And that comes back to the original question you asked me is why, why, do you have, why do you need to know these things? Where did that come from? It's like I need to know how things work. So the obvious so question, I like to well, I have to ask you on that. <laughs> You're a nurturer. You care deeply about your people, mm. but you're also perfectionist and competitive. Yes. How do you avoid <laughs> micromanaging your people? <laughs> oh, well, I hire smart people. Yeah. Self-directed. <laughs> they don't need it. Self-directed. They don't need to be. Yeah, and we've we've always had a very very hi- uh, flat hierarchy sure. in our organisation. It's really interesting. Yeah. I was just talking to the CEO, fabulous CEO Ray Kylie, who runs yeah. our business now, because yeah. uh, it's too big for Phil and I sure. to run. We don't have the skills yeah. to do it. So Ray runs our business, and and he's actually just doing a, a maturity org chart for yeah. us right now. Right, I said to him, we need to re we need to reinvent the org chart. Yeah. Because hierarchy just does not work for us. Yeah. We've got a whole bunch of our engineers who, some of them are in charge of the future, some of them are in charge of today, yeah. and some of them are in charge of tomorrow. And they're all peers. And, you know, you kind of say to yourself, well, someone has to report to someone. Yeah. I'm like, nah, not these guys. So we need a circle for, wow. for the org charge. And so, That's you know, so we've, we've kind of pioneered our own stuff. And, and if I can take you back to the blue-footed boobies, yeah. I, I often refer to our company as the Galapagos Islands. Okay. We have evolved under our own steam. We have, we have had to make things up as we go because what we're doing has never been done before. And we take inspiration from other companies and other people who, who can help us and advise us but none of them have ever done what we're doing. Yeah. It's all new. It's all pioneering. So we've had to make things up as we go. And from a scientific point of view, 
we're operating in a gene pool that we've created. Yeah. So the outliers and the and the blue-footed boobies yeah. are everywhere yeah. in our organisation. We we could never afford to hire any experts. Sure. You know, in the in the competitive Canberra market, we couldn't afford to hire kind of people that knew what they were doing that in inverted came, commas. That, that comes through, you talk about this a bit, where you talk about when you were starting, like you were 20 when you got pushed into this thing at, uh, in Sydney. Mm. And so you've had a, a, a quite an openness to young people yes. coming into a system. Yes. And, to, uh, and also you talk about challenging the status quo, fiefdoms, all that stuff. Yep. So yep. some risky though, isn't there? Because it? it's, it's a quite hands, not hands off because these are professionals that you have. Yeah, I mean, mm. other people want to control everything. And mm. it's a very, Pat from Synergy, they've got 200 plus staff now and they're similar yeah. flat structure. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. We've always believed in, um, I, I'd rather hire for potential than hire for experience. Oh, really? It's a very simple philosophy and it is a survival mechanism for our business. Yeah. We could not afford to hire the folks with 10 or 20 years of experience. They just we were just not in the market we did yeah. not have the money so we had to hire for potential and it turned out to to be an exceptionally good, good strategy for us because and teachability that, well that's right because that that potential isn't stuck on mm. what they think is the paradigm of today so the a blank slate a clean slate and that was the opportunity that i got with my first boss in this startup company in 1990 he expected me to act as if i had 10 or 15 years of consulting experience when I was 20 and he sent me into some of the most intensely corporate situations and I had to figure it out like like you said I just had I had to I had it was deeply technical and I had to and it was intense and I do remember feeling quite ill some days when I was going to work but you know really stretching really stretching yourself and really you know, coming back the next day going, well, I survived yesterday. How hard could today be? Just another day. And it was always good when it got to Friday. But but I got five years of experience in one year. That's right. So, you know, great. You just have a new level of normal for for how you... you So from the the trumpet days (laughs) in front of 1,200 girls to being pushed into these corporate situations, why didn't you run away? Why did you keep showing up? What, What was that? You know, um, I do remember my gorgeous mother saying to me, Shelley, why don't you go and get a real job? <laughs> I was like, thanks, Ma. Yeah, thanks, Mum. <laughs> mm, it'll be all right. Yeah. Um, I think I, I, think I um, always wanted to be in charge of my own destiny. Yeah. And, and I know for Phil, he definitely needs to be in charge of his own destiny. Yeah. We could never work for anyone. I want to ask the most important question. I adore my wife. We've been married 18 years and uh, she's a brilliant woman, phenomenal project manager, incredibly empathetic. The likelihood of marital breakdown for us working <laughs> together is extremely high. I've never really figured it out because we've worked together, but we, we've figured it out. We just can't work together in the same room. Um, so it's interesting. How do you guys make that part work? Uh, well, we last year we celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Uh, so I don't even know what what year is it. Uh, so we got married in 1992. Yeah, that's right. Right. Yeah. So we met in 1989. So we're coming up to knowing each other for 30 years. Okay. Like yeah. I said. So and we've just figured that out. We've just figured out that that deep respect and trust in each other's um, cycles and rhythms mm. and operating 
kind of rhythms is really critical and we're extremely complimentary and I think that the best answer you'd get is probably to ask the people that have worked with us yeah. for a long time probably the short answer is we're probably too tired to argue with each other <laughs> yes like, oh, you win no you win no you win <laughs> yeah it's okay but but seriously it, it's like anything in life you you figure out how to make it work sure um, and it matters that 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 works yeah and and we don't compete with each other sure. we're both very competitive but sure. we don't keep compete with each other so you just direct it he, differently he, you talk about him being a visionary um what apart from that what do you most admire about him he's an up and go kind of guy yeah um do, do you do you know modern family do you know phil in modern family yeah, yeah. i love modern family yeah. right he stands at the door and goes let's go let's go let's go <laughs> right well that's phil so he's he's a rare male in our family we okay. have three daughters yeah, yeah. Uh, female dog um, sister, <laughs> mother-in-law, niece. There's just girls everywhere sure. in our family. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it was quite funny. There was one situation. There was myself, my three daughters, his niece, his sister, my mother, uh, all sitting on the couch, sitting around, and he's up in the kitchen cooking dinner. Wow. And he's going, huh, some, <laughs> something's wrong. <laughs> it's kind of legendary in uh, the family. But he, he's a great guy. He's, a, he's an up and go. Sure. Uh, he's an initiator and if you think about what I said to you before I dot the I's and cross the T's Mm. so I'm the detail and in our company um, he he's the visionary he he can see the future and I help to articulate that into what that means for for us as a team we've got 80 staff now Mm. and that that company is growing mostly mostly engineering technical kind of tribe Uh, super smart kind of people so so they they can see the vision and get it and understand it and for me it's about articulating that into how do we how do we interpret that and put it in the market well i want to ask you i asked this to pat quaid like pat's got 200 plus staff there and i'm always interested tell us a little bit about your 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 allocation of time on a daily basis. I mean, one of the great traps for people leading something really growing and, and alive and with so many, so much potential opportunity, how do you allocate time? How do you choose? How do you walk in that place each day and go, the highest leverage thing I can do is... Yep. How do you do that part? Yeah, well, it is exactly that. It's the what's the highest leverage piece. And and I can stay up and, and be lofty. I'm um, on the board mm. of our company. But I also roll my sleeves up and get into some very specific detail as well. I think now, today, it's a lot easier than it was, let's say, five years ago. So today we have a professional CEO mm. running the company. So that's that been a fabulous... You're sort of smiling as you say that everybody's yes. got this look yes. on their face. Like, it's like yes. joy, <laughs> joyous, joy, relief. Because yeah. um, you know, a big decision for Phil and I sure. to... to to do that yeah. you know that i'm um, taking notes as the as the days and months and quarters go past because that's going to be a, you know a harvard business review article yeah. i think about how founders Let go. of a, a long-term gro- um, organic growth company um, hands hands yeah. the reins over to a ceo yeah. so we now have a triangle of three people who are in a triangle of of respect and sure. trust i call it the small council okay i don't know if that's a game of thrones reference yeah. there okay. it's a small council where there's dragons and there's <laughs> Um, kings and there's a lot of trust yep. <laughs> so we have a lot of fun in in our in our world in our yep. work day how do you manage your time uh, I've asked this to people too like so that's that's how you allocate time in a professional sense mm. 
how do you run yourself personally are you a 5am person run 10k <laughs> eat your smashed avocado no. and kale smoothie no. how do no. you operate personally <laughs> Well, these days, uh, early morning calls to the US really? kind of feature. Yeah. So well, that's fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, we really love love that. You know, that there's we've got about 20 people in the US now, West Coast, East Coast. So there's all kinds of um, time zones. So, so on a daily basis, I'm I'm all I have a great app that's a, a global meeting planner yeah, app yeah, yeah. for time zones. Yeah. So that's what I'm usually looking at first. Uh, look, I I. I'm the intensity of of my work is changing. Yeah. Um, I think I'm becoming more and more strategic, doing a lot of thought leadership um, work. So I've actually been kind of released from a lot of the operational and day to day in the business. Did that cause to be some very strategic? At, at any point? Yeah, there was a there was a, a there was some times where I needed to take a moment. So as a, because as I do a, have this need to kind of dot the I's and cross well, the T's. Was a perfectionist? Right? That's what I'm asking. Yes, like, correct. Did you find yourself going, "What are they doing? I wonder what they're doing. Is it, what, what are they yeah, doing?" Why haven't, <laughs> yeah, yeah. why haven't they asked me? Why haven't they asked me that? Because I know like, the answer. Yeah. I can't play golf. I know. Ask me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, look, I think that goes back to us being extremely fortunate with right, the people. selection of our CEO, and we have a lot of long-term folks in yeah. our on our bus. How do you explain that part? Uh, loyalty. Why would uh, they be loyal? What are they loyal vision? to? Vision. Yeah. vision and mm, probably about oh, 15 12 or 15 years ago phil and i decided that 10 percent of the company would be owned by the staff wow. yeah so we have an employee share option plan yeah. and some of those some of those folks that have been there for 15 years plus yeah. are co-owners of the company so it's incentivized you know it's not they, they want to they want well, to see the wins skin in the game yeah. and that and the belief the belief for the vision and look we just won a, a, a major major financial services company in the in north america yeah. i can't name them yep. on in public but they let's just say they're the tiffany's of wall street That's so good and we are helping them on their digital transformation journey we were selected from a global tender process and That's the little epic. company from canberra so prevailed because do you know why best of breed right yep but the but the people in the procurement team we're sick and tired of the big guys really? always winning the tenders. So, so our persistence and our determination and our excellence, and we kept showing up and kept showing up. We overcame the pain of coming second a lot in these deals, and for this one, we prevailed. And um, it's a company-making deal for us. And now we've got to deliver, yeah. right? So, so there's yeah. a moment of elation. It's like, <laughs> yep, yes! the rope the rope came across the icy rope, and now we're there on the other side. Now we've got to climb up. We've got to keep going because we're across steps. crossing the chasm. I think is you know one of those things that's quite famous in our world. Well, I want to, there's a couple more things I want to ask you to finish. But I, when you just talked about it, I asked about loyalty and people staying, and you said loyalty to the vision. It's relatively rare these days. I mean, churn churn rates can be pretty high, mm. especially for millennials, young people coming through. What is it about the culture, the people? the Intellidox journey that makes people want to stay with you? Well, I think it is that we care about our culture. Culture comes first. Culture comes first. And that, and then those people who've engaged with our culture help us define the strategy. It doesn't, it's not the other way around. So you don't say, so, so the, 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 the small council doesn't sit there and go, we have a new strategy. You will all be sitting and receiving a, so <laughs> no, <laughs> they, you have the vision and you, you feel and, and, and you have the vision and these people believe in you guys and then yes. they execute strategy and yes. you trust them to do that. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So and they, it's not binary, right? It's not black and white. It's never, it's always this 
evolutionary approach to how we're going to do things because no matter what strategy we could set or vision we could paint at you know one january or one july by 9 30 in the morning say, it's changed it's tech isn't it it's tech yeah. it really is and something comes at you and you've got to go you either got to duck or you got to jump up and grab it right and how could have you defined that yeah so that's what we all love about it and and everybody just loves coming to work because we're doing something that's hard we're doing something that's never been done before and we're doing it with a great gang of people so what do you think it is about humans i'm bringing you back to this darwinian stuff here what is it about humans that like that because i can picture what you're saying i can mm. picture coming into a place going hey we're part of something here we're mm. we're doing something that hasn't been done we're building something what is it about humans is it novelty is it what is it i don't know but it's not for everybody no. i can tell you that and so you know in the hiring and firing process that i've curated for 25 years in yeah. our company so i've literally picked our tribe um you i don't know it's it's kind of instinctive you can tell there's there's people who like to be comfortable hmm. people who like bau and people who want that and they're not the people that would survive in our company hmm. they would not make it to morning tea what's it like in there if you walk in there what's the vibe <laughs> there's a vibe i don't know you'd what have to it? come uh it's chaos is it one word. Organised chaos yep. or it's just stuff happening everywhere? Yep. And, yep. Oh yeah. Chaos. So there's not a lot of boredom? None. No, no. time for that. Yep. So there's, uh, well, I suppose like everybody, the to-do to list isn't getting any shorter. Yeah. Um, but for us, more important things are being stacked into the list. Yeah. So at the moment, the way we kind of control that chaos is, I call it landing aeroplanes. Yeah, right? okay. So we, we kind of have regular stand-ups saying... All right, guys, there's a 747 400 yeah, going around. Down. It's got a bit of fuel left, so let's just leave it there. <laughs> but we've but got this other one. A 747 <laughs> coming in hot with no fuel left, and we've got one runway. Yeah. Um, how are we going to land that aeroplane? Okay. And that's literally the language that we use. And so for us to divest yourself of the stuff that you did yesterday to make room for what you're going to do tomorrow, there's a contest on that every single day and that's what we call evolution last couple of things uh you ever felt imposter syndrome yeah yeah yep what have you talk us through that well it's really interesting because i only figured it out when i read someone else's experience yeah. yeah so if you think about my early journey my first job where my boss sent me into this room of executives on the 35th floor and 121 george street in mm. sydney i'm like holy heck Batman <laughs> and you kind of did have to pretend you knew what you were doing yeah. but there was a point in time probably when I was about 25 or 26 working on a, a big technology project in the mid 90s where I actually in that room I went yep I actually know what I I'm got, doing I got this yeah I got this I'm looking at the seven other people in this meeting going they got no they not got this what did you, what did <laughs> I you, got this there, there is no arrogance in this no but what did you no, feel no. at that moment well, I suppose it was it was everything leading up to that. I had been uncertain and I had felt uncertain and I had felt physical nausea of fear of showing up to work each day thinking that I'd be found out, that I didn't know what I was doing. And in technology, right, it's literally like I've literally three minutes ago read that page in the manual. <laughs> like, it's, I know how to do this now. Yeah, it's like yeah. I haven't done it very often, but I did it three minutes yeah, ago yeah. for the first time, yeah. right? I've got history with this. Yeah, yeah. Unix, yeah. yeah, yeah. No problem. <laughs> Here, let's talk about Unix. Uh, I wrote the manual. I wrote the 
the first corporate training manual for, for Microsoft Windows yeah. when it was released. Um, Phil did the worldwide launch for Microsoft Project yeah. on stage in, in Hong Kong. That's and awesome. Literally, it's not quite faking it till you make it. Mm. It's like, it's actually, didn't get much time to research this and it's on tomorrow. <laughs> so Where's the coffee? Do your best, yeah, right? Yeah. Courage, confidence, pr- presentation. Yeah. But you build layers and layers of, of confidence on, you know, on top of it. It takes time, though. It does. But if you, if you do that with persistent, deliberate approach and add, add a dose of humility to it, yeah. it'll always go well for you. I wanted to ask you, you do talk about this lovely metaphor, smooth waters don't make good sailors, and you talk about the struggle. Talk us through that as we, as we wrap up. Like... This breaks other people. It leads other people to depression, cynicism, burnout, quitting. What? And I wanted to do a synthesis here because I think I'm wondering if your competitive streak isn't so much your. You're definitely not trying to be better than someone else. You might want your business to be to excel, but is your competitive competitive streak simply about pushing yourself to become and letting the circumstances and the difficulties and this smooth you know smooth waters not making good sailors struggle. Is it for you that all of this stuff just makes you alive, makes you better? What is struggle? Talk to I feel like I'm being psychoanalyzed. No, it's, it's just really interesting. Good. Yeah. yeah, well, nobody's ever asked me that, yeah. honestly. I don't know. I just, I suppose for, you know, being on this journey for so long, it's like, well, what else would you do? So a lot yeah. of people say that, you know, well, you're going to you? kind of wind back a bit and... Buy a yacht. It's like, <laughs> That's what we said to Louise yesterday. Oh, go buy yes. a yacht. Yeah, yeah, well, sailing's a wonderful thing it for is. adventure, adventurous people, yeah. and Phil and I are certainly that. Champagne sailing's boring, right? Yeah, yeah lovely. Let's do it once or twice, yeah. but seriously. So it is, you know, that that analogy, and it's not my own. I'm yeah. sure it's a famous quote: yeah. "Is smooth waters don't make good sailors." Mm. And I say that to to my guys that I call them, the guys and girls in my team, when they are under, and this is often intense pressure Mm. deadlines impossible wicked tasks you know promises that have been made (laughs) that they've got to then go and invent the software to land the plane build the plane on the way you know right all that kind of stuff it's like guys 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 we like the hard homework yeah yeah nobody in our tribe comes to work to sit in the corner and not contribute so but why well if you if you think about the analogy of sailing yeah you want to get out into those big waves. You want to use the equipment on your boat. You want to you want to do your job. Mm. So if you're on the trapeze or you're on the grinders or whatever it is, you want to be the best you can be in that intense situation. And do you know what? I think one of the most important things is you want your best person on each of those elements of the team. Mm. And you need to be really careful that you don't put somebody in that situation who isn't good at that yeah. and one of my greatest philosophies is you know it's all well and good to play to your strengths and and you know know your people but it's actually knowing your weaknesses that protect your team okay. and not hiding them and and we can't all be good at everything yeah. so when it really matters you deploy your team for for their best absolute best purpose mm. and we do that every day mm. under intense pressure so it, it does become a new normal. So these guys, like I said, could build a rocket and fly to the moon and back. 
Wow. I'm, uh, Smooth waters uh, don't make good sailors. I, just, I tell them that every day. I just think there's something we were talking off here before about this, this, you know, this classical Greek concept of purpose and stuff. And I, I wonder if these difficult circumstances, they make us alive. Yeah. We, we, we sometimes say we wouldn't, we don't like them, or we think sometimes we're different. But yeah, you, you know, you're alive. Yep. You know. Yep. Um, I think there's a competitive streak in the whole business as well. In the industry, or your no, in our in, in, in our culture, yeah. and it's interesting. You 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 know, you're kind of making me think here. We we had the great the the great news just yesterday that that we we want to deal probably against all odds against some of the biggest technology companies in the world, but we'd been working on that project for two years, wow. two years. Yeah. So it was our idea. We had to kind of seed seed the market for the idea. It'd never been done before, and we won. So the team at the moment is, you know, very, very happy, very pleased with themselves. Yeah. But the particular individual that won this deal said, right, that's it. Now I'm on to the next one. <laughs> so so you certainly don't rest on your laurels no. and the wins don't come easy. No. They don't come easy because we're punching above our weight. So that's what makes it all the sweeter. You've got to celebrate, sweeter. right? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah yeah. 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 What are you most proud of so far? Uh, well, I like the giant beating element of it. I think I've mentioned that once you or do. twice in this last hour. So giant beating. You we do? literally beat some of the best technology companies in the world do at their own game. Do you think that's an Australian thing? Is it a camp? What is it? What, is it just you're proud of coming from a relatively small town and taking on the world? Yeah. Is that it? Yeah, I think it's definitely a Canberra thing. I yeah. mean, I see that in a lot of the companies in Canberra a lot of the the kind of the systems even the sporting teams in Canberra we talked about the Brumbies earlier that you know the underdogs that that often are you know out of good funding loops or like us our little company we could never afford to hire experts into the company but this town in Canberra has a a fabulous ecosystem of supersonic smart global thinkers who that they're they're different they're different to big city yeah. folks. They, they, they choose this beautiful city. It's a, it's a, a lifestyle choice. They're people that care about their health and their fitness and their yeah. well-being and their families. So they choose not to be in the, you know, the grind yeah. of a big city. So being really deliberate about choosing Canberra or staying in Canberra or coming back to Canberra as a place to live, I think, sets us apart. We're, we're under intense pressure to move our business to Singapore or mm. Palo Alto or yeah, yeah. you know somewhere like that and it's just not an option we're just not going to do it so what do you because love we choose Canberra place? oh look out the window yeah. it's special isn't it <laughs> it's very but beautiful you do. Like, like, I'm talking Passionate. to you off and talking mm. to you here and the reason I started this podcast is I think people look at us and say oh, it's a government town and I guess it is but meeting people like you and the people I've met so far it's like hang on there's all these people out there hustling making stuff happen no one's telling their story yeah what do you love about this place? This what? is uh, this place is in my blood. I'm born and bred. Like I yeah. like I said, my dad was sent here as a government surveyor in the late 50s. So literally, this city, the engineering of this city, is yeah, in my blood. Really deep connection. Yeah. I, maybe it's inexplicable, but you know, I I travel the world. I I probably spend three months outside of this yeah. city every year, and yeah. not all at once, but you know, <laughs> kind of two weeks and three weeks and four weeks here and there, but. The greatest joy is literally flying back into Canberra yeah. Airport, you know, when there's, it's five o'clock, there's a beautiful sunset and yeah. you fly over this gorgeous city and you go, I'm home. 100%. I'm we, home. This is home. We did a massive global ed- odyssey last year as a family. We did Iceland and Europe and stuff. And uh, I mean, Iceland's amazing. But where we live in Canberra, we're up on the top of the hill and it's a beautiful view of the Brunabellas and 
summer you just get the most ridiculous sunsets mm. and uh we just yeah and it gets in your blood yep I've travelled so much last year, and every time I come home, come up the stairs from the airport, and you just see the mountains again. So yeah, it's can, very yeah. special, very special. Two things very quickly finish, just on taking you back to almost where we started. Uh, your father sounds like a really special man who, mm. who really, just by who he was, and then you know gave you this fascination with the world. Mm. What would, looking at your journey and where you are, what do you think he would be most proud of in, that you've, in who you've become or what you've achieved so far? Well, firstly, that I still always know where North is. <laughs> Without using a phone. Yes, and, and my children do now as yeah, well. It's okay. a bit of a family legend, yeah. and I know my brother's children as well. They all know where North is. They all know where North is. It's a, a family legend. Yeah. Uh, look, he's passed away yeah. now, but how oh, he'd be deeply, deeply proud of, sure. of his little technology-savvy daughter. Yeah. Yeah, and he did say to me, you know, when I was 17 and in school deciding what to study at university and here's the lovely thing of course I did a science degree because that's what my big brother did he said oh Shelley you should choose a couple of computing subjects because that might come in handy one day wow I was 1987 uh last thing I asked I asked uh, Louise this too imagine that you're you're speaking in an event with a whole bunch of up-and-coming young business people men and women and uh there's stars in their eyes what three things would you tell them? Yeah, well, embra- embrace the struggle yep. because it's the struggle that matters. Yep. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Yep. Smooth waters don't make good sailors. Yep. So yep. embrace that challenge. Yeah. Embrace it because why, why else would you, you want to just do something normal? Yeah. Um, and I think that that next piece is the outliers yep. are really important. The blue-footed boobies that don't yeah. exist anywhere else. Find them. Go find them. And because that'll, that will stand you apart. That's yeah. what will make you different. Enjoy it. To enjoy it. So the, the word struggle is probably a loaded word. Yeah. But, but turn that word struggle into, into, into a really positive endeavour. So we're going to wrap there. I want everybody to check all the show notes. We're going to have a huge number of links to everything that Intellidox is doing. And uh, make sure you check out the website and just see the applicability of what they're offering is, the infinity offering to anything that you're doing in, in private or public sector. It's a fantastic product. Shelley, thank you so much for making time for us. I've had a ball. I can't believe I get to meet such cool people. And um, I think you and Phil should be incredibly proud of what you're building. Uh, and it's on its, it's on the upswing. And uh, I want to see you guys win big time. Thank you for your courage, for building a great culture, for loving this town and for all you've contributed and yet to contribute. So thank you so much for making time for us today. Thanks, Jonathan. It's been a joy.